Well, hey, everyone. Welcome again to the Habitation Podcast. We're so glad that you're with us. I have a special friend, special guest with me today, Larry Sparks, who just about like a year ago, we, I feel like, really got connected and have remained connected. And um, in just the conversations we've had, you've had such an impact on me. You've given me a lot of um, even just significant words for significant timing. Uh, Even, you know, we... I just did a podcast with my brother. We talked about transition that, you know, we're currently walking through as a church and planning of churches. Well, you had prophesied that over me before I even like knew exactly what I was going to do. I don't even know if you remember that. I love accidental I, prophetic yeah, yeah, words yeah, yeah. because you summer just, moon. yeah, you just yeah. say what the Holy Spirit gives you sure. and it's like, yeah, you know what? I just give the nuts. You got to crack them. You know, it's like, you got to figure it out. <laughs> I like that. I've song. heard Lance Wall now say that. <laughs> so, great. so I'm glad though. Yeah, That's wonderful. We were sitting at summer moon and you really just laid this apostolic transition word that was on me. And then Jeremiah Johnson came to our church and ministered and then confirmed it. And so you've had more of an impact on me than I think you realize or understand. But I just want to say thank you for being with us. We really honor you. And I'm excited for our viewers to get to know you a little bit I'm today. I'm thrilled to be here, William. Yeah. Thanks a bunch. And you live so close to our building, so you can do this all the time. <laughs> I could walk here. Yeah, Amen. yeah. So Amen. it's wonderful. So good. Well, um, I want, we're going to talk a little bit today about revival onto Reformation. And um, I consider Larry a uh, revival historian. Mm. You know, I feel like you could just go on for days about moves of God. And um, and you have a way of doing it where it stirs those listening. Mm. Like, I want that. And we can have it in our day. And so, um, but before we get into to some of that, would you just share with us a little bit about your background uh, where you come from, but also kind of what sparked this desire and hunger for you to see revival in our day. I, I will do that. And then I'm going to give a little bit of an unusual testimony about how I got to the place where I was personally stirred by revival yeah. history. Yeah, we because, want to know. Okay. So rewinding a little bit, I first came to know the Lord. Uh, well, rewinding further, my parents were accidentally prophetic in that Growing up, they put me in a school in upstate Connecticut called Holy Spirit School. It's Holy Spirit Catholic School. Wow. Yes. So even at that time, the Lord was preparing me for what I'm doing now. And I did that until fourth grade. Then we moved down to Florida, and my parents did not know that there would be a difference between a school like that and what we'd consider a very strict evangelical fundamentalist school. Mm. But they put me there, fifth grade onward, and let's just say I got saved probably 20 times. I didn't want to miss the rapture. (laughs) and I didn't want to go to hell. Those were two things. I'm like, listen, anything I can do to avoid those situations, but I wasn't really following God. I I wasn't going after Jesus. Which, unfortunately, that's how most Christians, I think, live today. Just stay away from those three things Yes, make the rapture, you'll be fine. Well, and the reality is we were not born again just to go to heaven. Heaven is the wonderful, glorious, eternal reward. But while we're here living and yeah. breathing, he has called us literally to be a habitation, a place of his yeah, presence to dwell. So good. So needless to say, I went to Florida. I wasn't really serving the Lord. I was just kind of existing, believing that God existed, and that was enough for me. But then mm. when I was 16, all of a sudden there was a sovereign curiosity. I could not explain it to you, except God himself started to chase me. Wow. And I had my father, who was not a believer at the time, drive me to the local Baptist church. I just want to go to church. And he would drive me. He'd pick me up on Sunday after church. And then when I could drive, I started to go down the street to this big church that everybody was talking about. And the big news at the time, again, this was late 90s. So they had contemporary praise and worship where they had drums and people lifted their hands and electric guitars. And it was so wild. I thought it was a little creepy. I thought, this is strange. I'm not really into the music, but I really liked the message. 
I'd skip the music, go listen to the message, and I did that repeatedly until I remember it was July of 1999. I was in a service, and I happened to be in the middle of praise and worship, which really endears me to you and what you guys cultivate here at Habitation. There is something that God does in the atmosphere of worship where people will have a collision with his presence. Mm. That's exactly what happened to me. I was just standing there, not even all that engaged, but they did this old hill song. And then I remember in the middle of that song, I started to feel electricity in my hands. I mean, I could feel it. And then like a fire in my chest. And it was very subtle. I didn't fall or shake or have any kind of revival phenomenon happen. Mm. Not at that time. (laughs) I've had plenty of that since. But at that moment, I concluded that this God that I have learned about is real. He is the God of Isaiah 64.1, tears open the heavens, he comes down, he touches people. And from that one encounter, I wanted to give my life to know him and also bring my generation into a transformational encounter with him. So fast forward, I went to seminary, and so many people are like, no, I went to cemetery, brother. Seminary (laughs) was not good for me. It was wonderful for me. I went to Regent University, got my Master of Divinity, Church History and Renewal, and to kind of bottom line it, I remember sitting in classes. My professor was a guy named Dr. Vincent Sinan. He wrote some of the most outstanding books about the Holy Spirit and kind of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church throughout the 20th century, most notably one called the Century of the Holy Spirit. So his eyes had seen so many moves of God, and I would sit in that class and listen to him share about what he had seen God do, whether it was on the campus of Duke University during the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, or when Dennis Bennett, who is an Episcopalian priest, got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues in Southern California, and how that shifted things. Like he saw moves of God that changed times and Mm. seasons for the church. And I'll never forget William listening to him in class. And I have to go up to Virginia Beach. I'd have to go travel there uh, a couple of weeks a year to do these like remote classes. So I'd listen to him. I'd go back to my little dorm room and my heart would just burn. I remember receiving impartation in my classes in seminary for revival. And I thought to myself, if God did it back then in that measure, how much more does he want to pour out his spirit now? So that's a little bit of my backstory. I love that. And and so during that time when the Lord's putting these seeds in you of uh, burning to see revival in our day, and and a lot of people, you know, are like, well, the word revival is in the scriptures, but it is. It's in uh, it's in Acts chapter three when it talks about times of refreshing. Correct. That word in Greek, refreshing, is times of revival. Mm. And so, uh, before we get into revival under Reformation, in in all that God has walked you through and what you've learned, um, what how would you identify revival? I would say two things. Um, in in my book that I did, Pentecostal Fire, yeah, which is which is here for all well, the viewers. Well, and again. I should get better at this because I am a book publisher. Thank you. You're very kind. But in the book, basically, my definition of revival, and there are so many wonderful definitions out there, by the way, I believe it is a return to the normative method of operating and flowing in the power of God that we see really catalyzed on the day of Pentecost. So really, it is back to Pentecost, back to the early church. For the first 300 or so years of the church, 
the community of believers was a charismatic community. In mm-hmm. other words, they operated in signs, wonders, miracles. It was not the exception. It was normal, so much so that when there was a water baptism that took place, there was an expectation that people would go under the water, come out, get delivered of demons, be filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah. and also speak in tongues and prophesy. So there was an expectation where people were moving in that level of the presence of God. So revival number one is, I believe, a return to Pentecost. Yeah. But number Number two is this, and this is the common denominator in so many of the different definitions of revival that I've heard, whether it's people like D. Martin Lloyd-Jones or others, it's when God comes down. Revival takes place when there is a sense, I think of Duncan Campbell and the Hebrides revival in the late 1940s, where even though I know God is not like locked up in heaven— I actually believe we have an open heaven. Ever since Jesus died and made the Holy Spirit available, heaven's not been closed. The heavens have been open, but there are periods in time and history where it seems like the heavens are literally torn open and God comes down and saturates a church, a community, a people group, a city, a territory. And I really believe that that is another more demonstrative definition of revival. The concept definition is revival is a return to Pentecost, but there's this demonstration. And I love Isaiah 64, 1. That's probably my life scripture. You know, people got John 3, 16 or Psalm 23. Mine's a weird one. Isaiah 64, 1, where there's this prayer, oh, that you would rend, tear open the heavens yeah. and come down. So I think that's what revival yeah, looks like. That's so good. And and I think of that scripture that talks about breaking up our fallow ground. Yes. You know, yep. uh, a lot of people... I think are, you know, like, okay, waiting for God to come in a sense. And, and, uh, and our request is of course that he would come and that he would come down. Um, but I think ultimately he's bringing us to a place where he's coming out of a people, but he's got to awaken that the places and areas that we become dormant and callous in our own hearts, you know, to, uh, to know how to respond when he walks into a room. And that's you know? two dimensions there. We see it in the book of Hosea, which you're citing, is breaking up the followed ground. Yeah. It's doing something where we prepare our hearts. So there is a stewardship element. In other words, we have a responsibility. Some people yeah. over accentuate, they over-exaggerate the sovereignty of God and revival. God is 100% sovereign. I believe in that. But I do believe, like you were citing from Hosea, that we do something in our hearts. We prepare ourselves. We posture ourselves through repentance and prayer so that He can come to us like the rain. And we see both of those dimensions in the book of Hosea. We have to ask for rain, though. Yeah, we do. We have to ask. Something I've, I've actually been you know, wanting to talk to you about, ask you about, I think we might as well just do it in front of the whole world. Let's do it. Um, you know, something, uh, you know, within what we've experienced here at Risen Nation, uh, you know, back in June, we had a really an outpouring take place. I wouldn't quite call it a revival, but we had an outpouring take place where, uh, you know, I just, I had this urge, you know, we, we, on Sunday morning, we showed up on Sunday and the place is full you know, the money's coming in, everything that like we would deem success to be in the West, we started experiencing, but I felt as a pastor and leader, I felt empty. I felt yeah. like, you know, we have all of these, <coughs> excuse me, so sorry about that. Uh, we have all of these opportunities, um, you know, everything we always wanted to see, we're seeing. Yeah. Worship sounds amazing, production is amazing, all that stuff. I remember going home one day and just feeling like I'm so empty. You know, uh, like oh, we're not seeing the power of God that we want to see. You know, the early, we're talking about getting back to Pentecost. The early church had a saying, we are the church, those that laugh at death. Hmm. And today we can't like, we can't, we lose our minds over a cult, you know? So it's like, 
you know, when is it going to become normal again? Paul said, do we have to go backwards to elementary principles of raising the dead? Like if elementary is raising the dead in the, in the new covenant church, like what is college like if that's elementary, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. we, but today we've made the pinnacle, the miracle signs and wonders, which we need. But at this point it should be a way of life. And so I'm like, Lord, where's the miracle signs and wonders? I'm not interested in just having, and I know many pastors listening can connect with this. I am, I am not interested in just having a good successful church that you're not inside of. And so I went away to, uh, to Florida that week. And like my dad really encouraged me as a spiritual father in my life, go, go get alone with God and see what he says. So I went and got alone with God and I started watching these old Brownsville videos and just got torn up inside in a beautiful way. And I came back and I knew that God was telling me like, if you want me to move, you got to ask me to. And so I thought, you know, and Corey Russell's a huge part of our life. He sits on our apostolic team here at the church and he'd always be like, it's gotta be a house of prayer. It's gotta be a house of prayer. So I decided, you know what? I'm gonna stand in front of my church the next Sunday and I'm gonna say, I'll be here at six in the morning mm. and we're gonna pray. Um, and, uh, and so I got up in front of my church, all the power, the lights go out in the sanctuary. And it was like, it was just random. And I was kind of like upset. I'm like, of course, like I wanna make this big announcement. We're gonna start praying at six in the morning. I'm believing for revival to break out. Power goes out, the Lord whispers to me, I'm turning all the performance off. Uh. And so I preached in the dark on uh, June 12th and um, said, listen, I'll be here at 5.30 in the morning. I don't need a sound guy, don't need worship team. I'll do it if I have to, but we're gonna pray. We're gonna come together. And I showed up at 5.30 in the morning, there was a line outside. We've never had a line outside. Wow. And we had a line for prayer. And I didn't realize how hungry our people were until I gave them something to do with it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we started praying that after that, I mean, it was, uh, uh, the place is full, like a Sunday morning service for prayer. I'm shocked. And it was the ugliest prayer room you've ever been to. I mean, it was the most beautiful and most not put together prayer room ever, beautiful. you know? And so we ended up, the worship team ended up coming up to me and saying, can we play tomorrow morning? And I'm like, like a full band. Mm. And I said, you guys would have to be here at like 4.30 in the morning. And they're like, you don't understand. This is what we've been waiting for. So they came and played, our whole production team came and this went on basically until September, almost every day. And then we started doing night gatherings and the Holy Spirit was breaking out in a profound way. We we'd probably doubled in size. People were flying from all over the country, all over the world to come and see what God was doing. And I'm like, man, we're hitting it, we're there. And it was so powerful. Um, and I remember Corey making a statement to me he said, William, I believe that this is unto God turning this house into a house of prayer. Mm. And this whole concept of revival leads to reformation. It leads to reforming started hitting my heart, but I got to be honest, come September, the daily gatherings ended and we started, now we're doing daily prayer rooms, but it's not quite the same as it was, but in a sense, it reformed us into becoming a house of prayer and as far as our foundations go, are 10 times stronger than what it was before June. But during that season, you know, you can't help as a pastor to feel like, okay, you, you hit this thing in the Holy Spirit that you've always longed for, and now you feel like the waters are receding. And did we miss revival? Did we have a revival that came and went? Um, did we miss an opportunity? And I think we start setting our eyes on the wrong things, um, not realizing that revival produces reformation. And yeah. so... I want you to speak into that a little bit for pastors that maybe have experienced these moments or 
you know, you kind of, as a leader, you kind of get in these, you feel like, man, I feel like we're, I'm tired of the waves. I'm tired of the strong move of God. And then it doesn't come, but I feel like that doesn't come. We're probably reading wrong, you know, in that what is God doing under the surface that it took that move of God to get us here. Yeah. Would you just speak into that a little bit? Yeah, I'll kind of speak in bullet points because there's a lot that I have observed about this phenomenon over 20 some some odd years. Um, So number one, I believe every touch of God, whether it's on an individual, a region, or a church, is actually unto transformation. It's all about stewarding the touch, though. So many people are quite content with the feeling a touch of God, Mm. a touch of the Holy Spirit produces, which I love, actually. I have a whole chapter in that book about welcoming the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I always tell people, I don't tolerate the manifestations of the Spirit. I celebrate them. Because so many people, like you were talking about, kind of an ugly prayer room, so many people feel like we need to have something cleaned, sanitized, put together. We don't want to offend everybody. We don't want to offend anybody. Well, here's the reality. The only people offended by unusual activity of the Holy Spirit often are people with a religious spirit. People who are out in the world far and distant from God, they don't care. When there are people who are shaking, trembling, falling under the power of God, or weeping, they see that as an indicator light that there is a real presence in our midst, something more real than they are being satisfied with or they think they're being satisfied with in the world. So we've got to have open environments to experience the move and the manifestation Mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit. But in response to the question, I don't want to just settle for a nice touch because a touch is unto transformation, just like revival is unto reformation. So anytime a person or a church experiences a touch of God, there must be a question, there must be a search where that individual or even the leadership team goes to the Lord and said, God, what are you doing? Mm. Because revival is not unto more meetings. The purpose of revival is not to have several years of extended meetings. Now, I'm not against that because some of the greatest moves of God in history, I think of Toronto, where I believe they had eight to 12 years of extended meetings. I know those leaders quite well. They stewarded it very well, but they would say, The purpose and the end goal of revival is not how many meetings we can have. I would say the end goal and the end objective of seasons of revival, times of refreshing, outpouring, are, number one, the reformation that it produces in a church. And what does that mean? Exactly what happened with you, where God comes dramatically. You know, revival is often very intense. One of the reasons is God is pushing against the established framework. Yeah, come He's on. pushing against something that might have been very good. People need to understand this. Might have been very good in the previous season. It was right in the previous season. But God is coming to actually re form, readjust something so that it can accommodate more of his presence, more of his power, and it can increase its capacity. But with all that, that's the language of stretching. It's uncomfortable. It's intense. So that's usually why these outpourings come with such intensity. But the question is, God, what are you doing? What are you forming? With you guys, he was obviously establishing a house of prayer. And I wonder how many people have experienced Times of refreshing, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe months, maybe years, where God moved dramatically, and maybe we missed the transformation. And He's so gracious, and He's so merciful. And I would encourage people right now, you're talking about pastors and leaders who have experienced those times of refreshing, my encouragement to them would be go back, 
revisit those memories of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I even feel His presence as I say that. Go back and relive those moments where heaven was torn open over your life, over your study, over your church, wherever He met you. Revisit them, not for the sake of nostalgia, not for the sake of a good memory, but say, God, what were you what were you doing in that season yeah. because that message and that invitation i believe in the mercy of god is still available but the question is this will you settle for just a touch i love the touch of god but i'm not going to just stop short with a touch i want to know what he's reforming what he's transforming what he's adjusting and ultimately what he's building and that would be again my encouragement to pastors who have navigated so those times of refreshing times of outpouring yeah i mean that helps it it honestly as i'm sitting here even helps me you know like i i often think to myself if we didn't have that dramatic push in a sense from god like yeah where he just interrupted everything. And that's what happened. I mean, we had that first week where we started having these 6 a.m. prayer rooms. We were having every we were having services every night on top of that. So we were like spending days, multiple services here at the building. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember one of our first services, I'm ministering, there's no clouds in the sky and thunder strikes and starts shaking the building. And it scared us. I mean, everyone, we started screaming. I just sat down while I was preaching. I didn't even know what to do. And it was like, we started experiencing like those thunders and all those different things that the book of Acts talks about. Of signs about in the signs heavens. Signs in the heavens and yes. smokes in the sky. So all these different things start happening. And I'm thinking like, wow, it's happening. Yeah. Like everything we've longed for is happening. And I think to myself, I think if we didn't have kind of that, you know, like I, I while you were talking about the picture of like a father teaching his child how to ride a bike, you know, they hold the, the seat, you know? And it was like, I feel like we, you know, a lot of us, we experience that in these powerful times, especially in early days, you know, yeah. when we first get our life, where there's just this, this tangible presence, he pushes us. But if you would have come to us and that never happened and said, hey, you're gonna do perms every day of the week. And I think we would have been like, no, we don't have the capacity for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it was like the grace of God came and said, you do have the capacity to do this as long as I'm with you. Yeah, and, yeah. And in a way I think showed our team and our family here like what's possible in the grace of God that really did absolutely reform us. But you know, I often <clears throat> I heard someone say this and I think it's beautiful. The genius of the early church was that they didn't stay in the upper room. Mhm. Mm and uh and when you really start to consider that like I think the way I am and I don't know if you would say this too, but I know the way that I am is like, I naturally invent that if God comes powerfully and there and the move of God comes, I start working the equation. Yeah. Like I start going, okay, we did this song, the violin was there, the cello was oh, yeah. there. So let's put all of those things in place. So God comes like let's that do again. again. Do it yes. again. Do it again. And that song really works. So sing that song exactly like this. Don't do it in the wrong key. Do it in that key. Yes. And and I think that there's an aspect to like learning what God likes and learning what moves his heart 100%. But I'm the type where if I was in a room and tongues of fire came from heaven, landed on my head everyone was speaking in different languages and the power of God hit the room and there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind and nations came. I would have never left that room ever. Mm. I'd have stayed in that room forever yeah. and told the nations to come to it. What's powerful to me is, is it's like the 120 and his apostles, it's like they had this revelation being around the Lord long enough, you know, with their time with them on earth 
that they knew it wasn't just about experiencing the wind. It was about becoming the wind. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, they now spread like wildfire and they took that revival out. And, uh, and that's something that has really, I think, impacted me here because when we started seeing in September, it kind of came to an end as far as the extended meetings and the night gatherings. And we then started the weekly, or I'm sorry, the daily prayer rooms after that. I went through a lot of discouragement sure. September to December. It's like I went from the highest high June to September to one of the hardest seasons of my life, September to December. Hmm. And it, it was right after that move. And I think I was honestly, I think I had the wrong perspective and I put myself in this alienated place kind of away from God where I thought I had missed it. I thought I didn't steward this move of God well. And a bunch of people started leaving and, and all of these different things. And I didn't realize like, man, if, if God didn't do it that way, we never would have started Resonation in Nashville. We never would be starting sure. Resonation in Chicago. And it was like the Lord wanted to take what we experienced, hey, become the wind and bring that to the yeah. earth, you know? So um, it's been a hard thing to swallow in a long journey, but you know, you, even just what you're saying right now, it, it does bring a lot of help. And I know people that are watching too that, pastors that have had these experiences that are mm. feeling maybe discouraged because you know maybe we missed it or didn't steward it well well let me let me just say this because i feel like the holy spirit's highlighting this not just for pastors but for your everyday people in terms of experiencing yeah. carrying yeah. revival this is what i don't think we've seen yet but i believe we are going to see it in the days ahead is being able to steward environments where people can freely experience the holy spirit now, I'm not talking about extended meetings. I'm talking about normal, everyday, local church yeah. where we say our mode of operation is to preach the scriptures and to keep open altars. I, I think so that powerful. was the success, honestly, of the Asbury outpouring is because I went there and visited. One of the things that most intrigued me is that the altar was continually left open. And, you know, obviously people got up and sang and they shared a word of encouragement. We need the Word of God. So I would encourage pastors, teachers, leaders, keep preaching the Word of God, but keep the altar open. Have skilled, trained prayer workers there, because I believe we just need a place where everyday people can continually experience the presence of the Holy Spirit as He touches them. We cannot clean it up. We cannot sanitize it. We can't be afraid of it, because what's going to happen is this. Those people who get the marking touch of God, who shake, tremble, fall down, or whatever, that's usually an indicator. That's usually a sign, that kind of dramatic encounter. Just like we were talking about a dramatic encounter in the context of a local church. When somebody in their own body experiences God that way, it's a sign, and I feel like I'm prophesying even mm -hmm. right now, it's a sign that God is going to use that person in a sphere of influence. We have not fully seen a manifestation of revival in the business world, in the economic world, in Come the political on. arena, in Hollywood, what we'd call the seven mountains or seven spheres of influence, because either we say it's all about God moving in the context of the church, or it's all about societal transformation. No, it's about the local church yeah. being a safe place where people can encounter God, where the businessman and the biker can meet God on the carpet, on the floor, and then that person realizes when they go into the boardroom, when they go into the bank, when they go into Walmart, when they be, are operating as a homeschool mom, whatever they're doing, it's, it's remembering what God did to them on the floor 
when they're in the boardroom. So good. Recognizing the same power that touched me and caused my body to shake uncontrollably. I'm not going to do that in the boardroom. They wouldn't understand it. But that same power lives inside of me. And mm-hmm. I can draw from the power and the presence of the Spirit in this moment to come up with a solution in this company meeting that nobody can have access to. I can access a solution through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Larry, but but doesn't that businessman need to get up in the meeting and like get out a bullhorn and preach the gospel yeah. and say, Jesus, if the Holy Spirit orchestrates that, great. Yeah. Otherwise, my encouragement is when somebody shares a strategy, even in the context of business or a sphere of influence, that they got from the Holy Spirit, whether or not they say the name Jesus in it, it will be carried by anointing. Yeah. It will be carried by presence, and I believe conversations will start happening in the office where people will recognize there is something undeniably distinct on your life. Again, so we need to use the words when we preach the gospel. We need to be good evangelists. Yes, I understand the whole thing. Preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. We need to live the life. I understand that. We also need to know when to be covert and when to be overt, because there is a time for both. Yeah, and one so thing good. I do see coming, again, whether it's a politician, whether it's an actor in Hollywood, I see people meeting God on the floor of our meetings, which is I, I have such high priority for, but then recognizing, you know what? I'm actually called to have an impact in this sphere of influence that until now has been dominated by the power of darkness. And so me, good. aligned with and attached to a healthy local church filled with the Holy Spirit and power, I'm going to go to this place where God is calling me, just like Isaiah and Isaiah 6. Here I am, Lord, send me. That's the purpose of a God encounter right there. He's yeah. marked, he's touched, he's deployed and sent. And I believe, William, that's the next dimension of revival we're going to see. Mm. Yes, in our church services always, but those people are going to get marked, touched by God, and sent into these godless spheres of influence that are just waiting for someone to show up carrying the presence of God, the river yeah, of revival So there. good. That is so good. And, I, and that, I believe, is the answer of what revival in our day is to look like, yeah. is it has to become your life. Yes. Until you walk into your workplace and the presence of God walks in with you. Come on. And while you're getting divine strategies, the sick are being healed as well. You know, That's and it. so I, I love that. And I feel like it takes pressure, so much pressure off of leaders to re- try to recreate something i think we try so hard to echo and i'm the first one guilty of i mean i grew up watching my uncle benny in the meetings and i've experienced you know the i've watched and experienced the power of god and, but can i tell you i'm gonna yeah. i want to interrupt you i'm reading this book right now by tommy tenney who did the god chasers it's mm. called god's favorite house and he talks it because he's you know he has such a heart to pursue the presence of god and he said so many of us do get caught up in the mechanics of okay we played this song yeah. and the worship team yeah. sounded like this and everything was just right when god showed up and he said there's nothing inherently wrong but the problem is we're looking at these external things what was the heart like? Yeah, absolutely. What was the posture of your heart, of the church's heart, when God moved that way? Don't replicate the song. Don't try to replicate the mood or even the atmosphere, but goodness gracious, replicate that heart. Absolutely. Keep that burning heart. So good. And I think, honestly, to that point, what the Lord started and has been showing me is like, you know, if I am, if I become or any leader becomes frustrated with you know, maybe the move of God is not what it was. Did I have too much attention on what he was doing rather than just who he is? Mm-hmm. Because if my attention was on his ways and who he is, I would be willing to honor appropriately 
the solution at my job. I'd be willing to honor appropriately the fact that you, Lord, you've turned us into a house of prayer and celebrate that rather than being sad that the way that I wanted God to move is over, you know? And so that, that concept is something I think that is, it's absolutely freeing and it's people that whose hearts are going, Lord, we want you to come, not just Mm. your benefits. We, we want the actual real you and however you want to come and our expectancy is in you. Well, and the funny thing there is I think it's full circle in that you get a lot of people who get touched, marked by God, and they go into their sphere of influence, their business, whatever, their schools filled with, saturated by the presence of God, seeing the sick healed around them, releasing supernatural strategies. I can promise you this, they're going to come back to the local church, they're going to come back to the gathering, and they're going to spill out into that atmosphere. And I think we will start to live in perpetual revival. Um, so, but, but, and, and one last thing, because wh- why do we have outpourings like you did? Why, why will God come and give an outpouring like that? I believe outpourings like that, like you experienced, are a sign of an upgrade. Outpourings yeah. like that are Amen. a sign so that good. God is upgrading the way that we are doing things. And it's not necessarily meant to feel discouraged if the meetings stop and the intensity level wanes. It's like, all right, God, you were introducing an upgraded way of doing life, of doing church, of doing family. He was introducing an upgrade through an outpouring. And so it good. needed to come dramatically because it needed to challenge the old way of thinking yeah. and the old way of doing That's things. That's so good. And if you're listening to you know as leaders pastors even in you know moms and homes and dads and fathers you know i i've also heard somebody talk about you know peter stands up there's 120 people and he has the courage to say this is that which the whole which the prophet joel prophesied that i will pour my spirit upon upon all flesh and and this leader that was saying this he said isn't it crazy he was claiming all flesh but he was only looking at 120 people and so there's something to with whatever God is doing with you, whatever God is doing in your home, whatever God is doing in your church, even if it's just 120, as long as we honor it appropriately, it'll pass from generation to generation. And so Peter had the revelation of this is the beginning of all flesh, even though there was just 120. And so no matter how big Mm -hmm. or how small, no matter how, what measure you've experienced the Lord, we always know there's more regardless. There's always more for all of us. But even if you've had the slightest touch, I, you know, I would say honor it appropriately. I wish that I would have done a better job September to December of honoring appropriately what God did and is continuing to do. Um, but as we end, you know, I, I just tell them a little bit about your ministry, how they can get connected. What I love about Larry is, is that um, the reason I think we connect so well is because you have a beautiful way in, in an anointing and teaching really that, um, you challenge the status quo and the systems that man has built, but you don't do it in an offensive kind of way. You do it in a way where you come from it as far as the word goes. And I love for listeners, churches, people like you are an amazing man to have come and not only share revival history, but then actually help leaders have blueprints to go, how can we see a move of God in our church and confront our systems and the things that we've set up. So just tell them a little bit about how they can get connected and, 
and also a little bit about this book and, and Pentecostal Fire and where they can find it. Sure. You can get connected with me at LarrySparksMinistries.com. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, just at Larry Sparks. But if you see the bluegrass singer, that's not me. Or if I say something highly offensive, it was probably him that said it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Amen. But, but yeah, no, I, I teach, I lecture right now. We're seeing, I mean, I just got back from Wales, Northern Ireland. We're seeing God break out all wow. over the nations because there is such an unprecedented hunger for the move of the Holy Spirit. So that's why I wrote Pentecostal Fire. The Lord basically told me before I wrote that, He said, tell my church I'm reintroducing her to Pentecostal fire. And a lot of people wanted me to kind of tame that down. Well, Larry, that, you know, that language has a lot of baggage. But my heart is, well, then let's get it redefined. Mm. Let's get it biblically defined. Because when people think Pentecostal, they think of perhaps uh, traditional denomination Pentecostalism. They think of other things like that, hyper-legalism, holiness. And some of those things have merit, actually. But we need to go back past like denominations and mm. ways of doing church back to the day of Pentecost. And I believe what we are going after in our day is the fire that was lit in the church back when Peter got up and he said, this is that. And I believe we're seeing that in our day. So, so. good. Well, thank you, Larry, for yeah, being with me. Oh Guys, joy. please make sure you go look up Pentecostal Fire. Uh, Larry actually is also one of the head publishers, right? at, at Publisher De- for Destiny Image. Publisher yep. for Destiny Image. And so we know that this man can write for oh, sure. Thanks. Um, and then Larry Sparks Ministries dot dot com dot com. Um, Larry, as as we close, would you just pray for us? Pray for those that are watching the leaders, especially, just to um, have that encounter that they've been yeah. longing for with the Lord, and and that creating the reformation we need to see in our nation. Yeah, Father, I thank you right now for those who are listening, and I just can't escape this thought of people looking through their journals, people um, just remembering previous encounters, previous mm. touches of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Lord is saying to you, revisit those encounters, not just, as a, not just as a memorial, not just as something that happened years ago, but there might have been a blueprint. There might have been a strategy in that touch of the Holy Spirit. And the good news is that God is so merciful, that blueprint and that strategy for that church, that blueprint and strategy for your family, that blueprint and strategy, even to mm-hmm. overcome patterns of sin and addiction, I believe it's still available in that encounter. Yes, and I, I see you going through your journal, going through whatever that written record of your history with God, going back to that past encounter and experiencing the presence of the Lord all over again, because those moments are meant to mark us and shape us. So I pray even right now for those who need to revisit past encounters, but for those who are hungry for a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit today, even as we have been talking, my prayer is simply this, let their heart burn. Let their heart burn, just like William and, and my heart burns, just like my heart burned when my professor told me about what his eyes had seen you do throughout the 20th century, God. I'm grateful for all you've done, but Lord, we agree there is more. And I thank you, Lord, for every burning heart that's watching and listening right now, God, that they press in for the fullness of all Mm. you want to pour out in them and through them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Praise God. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the Habitation Podcast. We love you and we will catch you next time.